Good morning. We're going to continue in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to go over a little example uh, of something I see in my workday that we're going to see in the spiritual world soon enough. Now, as many of you know, I am a home health physical therapist. I see a lot of very miserable, wretched people during my workday oftentimes. Now, oftentimes, the average patient I see, they're very happy to see me, and they're willing to do whatever I ask them to do because they want to get better. But once in a while, I have a problem patient sometimes. And what I mean is uh, this patient thinks they have no need of me. They even might ask me, so um, who sent you here? Why are you here? And what's happened is a lot of times a very concerned family member might have reached out to the patient's doctor and said, um, I'm really worried about my mom or dad that they're not doing okay. Can you please send someone to check them out? So I get sent over to the house, or maybe a nurse does, to investigate just how this patient's doing. But this, this kind of patient, they think they're okay. And I've had some conversations a number of times. I mean, there's some patients I see, they're very unsteady on their feet. They're very wobbly. But when I talk to them and I'm trying to convince them, um, please, you need to use a walker or you're going to fall and break your hip. But they tell me, no, I'm fine by myself. I'm not going to fall. And this is probably one of the worst cases I've been to. One time I came to a house and I got this um, report from the doctor saying this patient reports some leg pain. They have not been able to get for days. Please investigate. So I come to the house and I look at the woman's leg and I, I see it. I said, okay, there's something really wrong. And I look at the woman and I said, um, I don't have x-ray vision, but I think you broke your leg and we need to go to the hospital right now. But the sad thing was, even though I did my best to convince the patient and her son, like, listen, this is an emergency. I mean, there's something really wrong with your, your mom's leg. They would not go. She said, no, I'll be fine in a few days. I'm sure it's just something minor. It'll be okay. I'm okay by myself. And in these situations, I get really worried because I'm thinking, well, what's going to happen to the patient? Will they last a night? What's going to happen to them? So today, we're going to look at a spiritual case of this. There's a church... They think they're doing fine. They think they're okay. They think they're, they got it all, but they're not doing well at all. So I'm just going to read the passage. This is uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot, I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. 
Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we've been going through the letters to seven churches in Asia, and we're on the last one today, the letter to the church of Laodicea. Now the Lord introduces himself in a distinctive way to this church. Just like in every letter, he introduces himself in a very personal way that pertains to the, to the situation. He says he is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Why does he call himself these three titles? Now, first, he says he's the amen. Now, we use this word all the time. We pray and say, and we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. But have you ever thought of what that word means? Literally, it means something like, so be it. God's will is going to be done. Whatever he wants accomplished will be accomplished. His will will be done. It's an acknowledgement of the Lord's sovereignty and that he's in control of everything. And with regards to this letter, some of these things that are going to happen in the letter, they're not pleasant to, to speak about, but they're going to happen. And the Lord says he is a faithful and true witness. He is a faithful and true witness of everything that the Laodiceans have done. Now, sometimes in a court of law, people might question a witness. They think, well, maybe this witness was mistaken about what they saw. Maybe this witness is not telling the truth. But with the Lord, there's no doubt that he's a faithful and true witness of everything the Laodiceans are recorded as doing. And here's the beginning of the creation of God. Now we'll see in this letter, the Laodiceans, they had an unhealthy occupation with the things of the world. They, had a, they were filling their lives too much with created things. And by introducing himself this way as the beginning of the creation of God, the Lord is giving this little reminder to the Laodiceans. He's saying, you know all those created things you're filling your lives with? I made those things. And now we get into the actual spiritual condition of the church in Laodicea in verses 15 and 16. We'll just reread them. I know your works that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then, because you're lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Have you ever had this experience where you expected something to taste good, you eat it, but then you, it tastes really bad? In fact, it tastes so horrible, you want to vomit. Now, I can't say this happened to me too often. I mean, 
perhaps there's a time where you uh, pour yourself some milk, you drink it, and you realize too late, that milk has expired. I think one of the worst times I remember, um, yeah, this was uh, a number of years ago, I was a little absent-minded and rushed on my way to work, so I put some chicken out on the kitchen counter in the morning. I left out by accident, so I came home, it was a warm day, and I see it on the countertop. I thought, oh, I left it out all day. But me, I'm a person who hates to waste food. So I said, it doesn't look that bad, I'll try it out. Big mistake. I was sick to my stomach the rest of the night. And, you know, I think we've all been there where we taste something bad, and we just think, ugh. But that's how disgusting the condition of the Laotian church is to the Lord. So what does it mean to be cold, hot, and lukewarm? Well, we're looking at the spiritual temperature of someone. So to be spiritually hot is like, I am on fire for the Lord. I wake up, I want to read my Bible right away. I get stoked when I get to share the gospel with somebody. I'm excited to come to a prayer meeting. That's being hot. So what does it mean to be cold? Well, this is just the opposite. No, I couldn't care less about God. In fact, I don't want to hear about God. Spiritual, hearing, hearing about spiritual things is, is a turnoff to me. And that's, this is how a lot of unsaved people are. I mean, I can remember trying to witness some friends in college, and they said, Michael, I don't want to hear you talk to me about God. Spiritual coldness. So we have the two extremes of hot and cold. So what is this lukewarm state? is something in between. This kind of person, they are not against hearing about spiritual things. In fact, they might read their Bible a little, they come to church, but they're indifferent about the things of God. So this kind of person might read their Bible, they might listen to a message, but they will come away unaffected by what they read and hear. So if if I'm lukewarm, perhaps I hear this really dramatic, stirring message about evangelism and the need for people out there to be saved. But when I walk out the church door, I do nothing about it. I don't pray about sharing the gospel with anyone. I don't even feel like talking to unsaved people. I'm just going to go about my daily life and have contact with nobody. A person who's lukewarm is really just going through the motions of worshiping God and going to church. So if I'm lukewarm, I'll probably be more into the things of the world. I'll be more into my job and career than my Bible. I'll be more into the latest movies and entertainment and games than going to a prayer meeting. So why is this lukewarm state something the Lord hates so much? Because at first I was thinking, well, shouldn't the cold condition be something that the Lord dislikes more? Why is the lukewarm state so distasteful to the Lord? And here's the reason. The Lord knows what to expect from 
a spiritually cold person. The Lord knows he doesn't really expect anything good to come out of a person who's spiritually unreceptive. But from someone who says they're a believer, the Lord rightly expects a number of things. A believer should have Christ-likeness in their lives. The Apostle John in First John, he says that a believer should walk or live as the Lord Jesus walked or lived. A believer should have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They should have character traits like kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And a believer, as the Apostle Paul said to Titus, a believer should be zealous for good works. So the Lord sees the Laodicean church, and he expects certain character traits, but sadly enough, when he looks at them, there is none of that from them. They looked just the same as the unsaved people in the neighborhood around them. The church at Laodicea was a worldly church. Now, it's like that example I gave before. The Lord's expecting something from this church, because they're professing believers. But it's just like um, you expect something when you're eating something. You expect something to taste good from how it looks, but it tastes horrible instead. There's this big disconnect between what the Lord rightly expects and what he sees. And the Laodiceans had this attitude in verse 17. I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing. They were, they were pretty much saying, I've got it made. I've got it all. Now, to give a little background on the city of Laodicea, why they thought this way, Laodicea was a very rich, prosperous city. They were wealthy in material things. The city was known for its wool industry, and they were known for their tunics. They were known for exporting special clothing that was known through the Roman Empire. And it wasn't just that they were wealthy, they were known for being a center of knowledge. They were a center of medicine. And uh, one specialty that they um, was in the city was eye medication. Now, the city was so well off that in the year 60, there was apparently a big earthquake that destroyed most of the city, but Laodicea was able to rebuild itself. They did not need any help from the rest of the empire, and the city rose up again. So the Laodiceans, they were a very self-sufficient people that appeared to need nothing. They thought they had everything. In fact, they were so self-sufficient and wealthy, they didn't even think they needed God. Because when they said this statement here, and I have need of nothing, that includes God. So they thought they were doing great. But then we see in this passage, this is the Lord's assessment of them. He says they're miserable, they're wretched, they're naked, they're blind, they're poor. Now, how were the Laodiceans? How were they wretched, 
miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, I'll say I see a lot of people who are wretched during my day, and when you think of someone wretched, you think they're going through a lot of troubles, they're afflicted. When you see someone miserable, we've all seen miserable people. We see someone who's miserable, we look at them and we just pity them. You think, oh, the poor person. Now, I will say, I just had, had COVID-19 a couple months ago, and yes, for a few days, I was very wretched and miserable. I had body aches and pains all over. I had one of the sore throats I've ever had in my life. I had this blasting headache. I couldn't do very much. I was just lying down, couldn't even read because I was having that much problem focusing. Now, that was only a few days. The Laodiceans, they were probably even sicker spiritually than I was physically. And the Lord says they're poor. Now, to a Laodicean person hearing this, this would have been shocking because they're thinking, wait, how am I poor? They're used to thinking of themselves as very wealthy, well-off. But God says they're poor. Spiritually, they're bankrupt. They might as well be a beggar on the streets with nothing. They're blind. Now, a blind person is really helpless. Now, I grew up for a number of years um, with my grandmother who was blind living with my family. And, you know, I saw her on a daily basis. My mom had to do so much for her. She had to cook for her, do her laundry, dress her, bathe her, cut up her food. My grandmother was helpless without uh, my mom and her family to help her. But this is the state of Laodicea. And they were naked. Now, like I mentioned, Laodicea was known for its clothing, its wool industry. So this would have been a very shocking accusation to a Laodicean believer because they were probably used to being thought of as the most well-dressed people in the empire. But the Lord says they might as well be naked, having no clothes on spiritually. So because the Laodicean church is in this awful condition, the Lord gives them his counsel, a very personalized counsel in verse 19. He counsels them, he says, buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. So how do I buy this gold refined in fire? Now obviously the Lord's not talking about physical gold, because they, they have plenty of it. So there's a few possibilities. And one thing we have to understand, spiritual wealth and worldly wealth are two very different things. And so I'll just read a couple of verses from elsewhere in the scripture just to help us get the, the right perspective. So in 1 Timothy, the apostle Paul writes, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation in the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. And this is from the Sermon on the Mount. The Lord Jesus commanded, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break and steal. 
but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where the thieves do not break in and steal. Where your, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So how do you become rich spiritually? How do you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven? So just for those verses I mentioned. You give to the Lord, whether it's your time, your money, your resources. You share with those who are in need. You perform good works. Now, just looking around me, is there some believer in need that I can help out some way or minister to? Is there some poor believer who is shut in and could use a visit of encouragement? Now, I have to say, just by saying these things, I'm convicted myself. I know there's people that I could be ministering to more. And just looking at the Lord's counsel to Laodicea, we can see the church there was lacking in these things. Because if they said that they were rich and wealthy, then they were not laying up for themselves treasure in heaven. They were doing exactly what the Lord said not to do. They were laying up treasure on earth. And they were probably not rich in good works. When you're busy accumulating wealth for yourself, you're probably not thinking of other people. And most importantly, I'm rich in just knowing the Lord and having fellowship and communion with him. As we see throughout the scripture, the Lord says, um, basically, you're rich in knowing him. He said to Abraham, he introduced himself as your exceedingly great reward. And King David talks about the Lord as the portion of my inheritance. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is the real gold that's talked about in Revelation. And going on the Lord's counsel, he counsels them to one on white garments that they may be clothed. So what is this clothing that the Lord is talking about? Now once again, it's obviously not physical clothing because they have the best clothing in the world here in Laosia. But there are actually a number of things believers are told to be clothed with. Now just to give an example, in 1 Peter, a believer is told to be clothed with humility. Now, this doesn't mean I'm wearing a t-shirt with the word humility on it. It means that my lifestyle is characterized by being humble, that I put other people's needs before myself, that I take the lower place. Now, elsewhere, we are told to put on righteousness. Now, in Ephesians Chapter 6, we were told to put on the whole armor of God. And I'll focus on particular on what's called the breastplate of righteousness. So we were told to put this on. But I want to make a few things clear first. When we were told to put on righteousness, this is not the righteousness that a believer has once they get saved. Now, positionally, I'm always righteous in God's sight because when I got saved... God gave me his perfect righteousness. 
So it doesn't make sense that I'm told to put on a righteousness if this is referring to the righteousness I have when I get saved. What this is, what this is referring to is righteous living. A believer's life should be characterized by practical righteousness. And this is the white garments that the, this letter is referring to in Laodicea. So, my daily life, it should be obvious. My friends or my acquaintances should see me as someone who they would expect the right thing. They wouldn't expect me to be involved in any sinful habits or behaviors. In my family life, my children should see me as someone they expect to do the right thing, that they would naturally follow. And on the flip side, if you're a believing child, um, your parents should see you as someone who they would expect to do the right thing and be submissive to their parents. At my workplace, I should have a good testimony as someone who is hardworking and honest and doesn't cut corners. Now, it doesn't mean that I never sin, but my life should be characterized by, by being righteous. So no one, can really, should know, no one should really be able to accuse me of doing wrong. Now, in the church of Laodicea, there's no sins that are specifically mentioned, but with what the Lord's saying, that they were naked, I think it's safe to say that there was a moral decline in the church in Laodicea. Now, going on to the last part of the Lord's counsel, the eye salve. How do you anoint your eyes with eye salve? Now, first, we should look at what it means to be spiritually blind. If I'm blind spiritually, I don't see the spiritual needs of people around me. I don't see what the Lord wants me to do. I fail to see how temporary are the things of the world and what are the real things of eternal value. And I can't see how bad off I'm doing spiritually. So again, how do I gain spiritual sight? And once again, this is a very personal correction to the Laodiceans because, like, like I said, this was a city that was known for um, their eye medication. And there's a couple ways to apply eye self spiritually. Now, one is the Word of God. Just spending time in the Word helps us perceive things spiritually. In the book of Hebrews, the Word of God is described as the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. In the book of James, the Word of God is like a mirror that reveals what kind of, pers- what kind of person uh, you are, just looking at it like a mirror. Another is a Holy Spirit. Now, we are told elsewhere in the Scripture to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, the Laodiceans, they were probably so busy filling their lives with material things that they probably didn't fill themselves with the Holy Spirit. But the Holy Spirit is described in 1 John as an anointing that teaches us concerning all things and by which a person is able to discern um, where a person is spiritually. Especially John talks about how the Holy Spirit would help them discern between false brethren. 
Now, even though the Lord has really nothing good to say about this church, he still loves them. And we see this in verse 19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. So there are people in the church here at Laodicea who are true believers. Now, it's true the Lord has nothing praiseworthy to say about them. But he tells me he loves them. Because the letter is it's a re- letter of rebuke and chastening. But he wouldn't bother rebuking and chastening someone he didn't love. And it might help to think of it, uh, how the relationship is between children and parents when they're chastened. Now, I don't enjoy giving my kids a spanking, but I know sometimes I have to do it because I don't want, I love them, and I don't want them to continue in a behavior that's harmful to themselves or to other people. But I don't chasten and rebuke other people's kids because they're not my kids. I mean, I might have affection for and love other people's children, but they're not my kids. It's not my place to rebuke and chasten them. So the Lord here, in rebuking and chastening this church, he's acknowledging, though, his relationship with them. They are his. They are his believers. So in verse 19, what does it look like to be zealous and repent? If I'm zealous, I'm spiritually hot. So, if I am zealous and repent, I'm going to turn from the things of this world that have captivated me and turn back to the Lord. I'm going to repent of this attitude I have of self-reliance and relying on my own wealth and resources. I'm going to confess to the Lord, Lord, I need you. I don't just need you a little bit. I don't just need you some of the time. I need you all the time. I need you every day, hour by hour. I'm completely dependent on you, not myself. Now, going on to verse 20, the Lord says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Now, this verse is often used as an evangelistic verse. I've heard people explain this way, that um, the door the Lord's knocking on is the door of the human heart. And this is the Lord trying to get the attention of an unsaved person and have them get saved. Now, in the context of this passage, though, that's actually not what it means at all. The door is not the human heart. The door is the door to the church in Laodicea. So we have this really sad picture here. The Lord Jesus is standing outside his church, knocking on the door that's closed to him. 
And it's really sad. I mean, what, what, what's he doing outside his church? I mean, shouldn't he be inside? I mean, don't the people in the church know he's not with them? But the Lord's not at home in this church. The, Laos, the Laosians have actually really rejected the Lord from their church. The lifestyle the Lord of the Lord doesn't agree with the kind of lifestyle they wanted to have. Now, a sad thing about the church in Laodicea is that its fate um, is already sealed at this point. The church has rejected the Lord, and this and the Lord has rejected this church. And we looked at some of the other um, churches in Revelation. They had the chance to repent. Just looking at like the first letter to Ephesus. The Lord says to the church of Ephesus that I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand unless you repent. There's a chance for the church of Ephesus to repent and not have the lampstand removed. And to the church of Pergamos, the Lord also gave them the chance to repent. I mean, the Lord said that he would come to them in judgment with the sword of his mouth unless he repented. But with this church, the church at Laodicea, there's no longer a call for the whole church to repent. So just looking carefully at verse 20, the Lord says, if anyone hears my voice opens the door. He doesn't say, if you hear my voice and open the door. Like he, that's, not, that's how he would have said it if he was talking to the whole church. But he says it says just to, if anyone, just to the individual who hears him. And to the individual who believer, believer who does come and answer the door, there is a great reward, though. The Lord promises sweet communion and fellowship with him, that kind of one-on-one closeness to him, like two friends sharing a meal. And once again, this is an individual reward. It's not given to the whole church, but that individual believer comes and answers the door when the Lord knocks. There's coming a day when the Lord will be truly recognized as king over this entire world in the millennium. And the promise to the believer who overcomes is that he will reign with the Lord Jesus on his throne. So how do we apply this message today? Now, as David mentioned in preaching last week, there's three keys to understanding the letters to the seven churches. Now, one, there's a timely truth. The church at Laodicea and the other six churches, they really existed centuries ago. These were real churches with real problems. And there's a timeless truth. Though these churches existed centuries ago, the things that are said to them are still very relevant to us. And then there's a timeline of truth. 
know, each of the seven churches corresponds to a different era in church history. And with the letter to the, to the Laodiceans, this is especially doubly relevant because right now, this corresponds to the era we're now in. This is the present time. We're in the era of the lukewarm church, which is rich in worldly things and sees no need for Jesus. And it's very easy to see. I mean, it, we live in a country today where it's very easy to be tempted by, to be rich in this world. We live in a very rich, materialistic society. You know, these days, if I want something, I can just take out my smartphone, go to, go to my Amazon app and order it and get it the next day. I can be rich and have near nothing. But there's a real danger in being rich in this world. And that's what we see with the Laodicean church. And I'll just read something else from Proverbs. This is uh, in Proverbs 30, verse 8. The writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Basically, in the Proverbs, this person is rich. He's got that same attitude as the church in Laodicea. He's self-reliant. He doesn't need God, so he thinks. But do I ever have this attitude where I think I have it all and don't need God? Or do I depend on the Lord? In my daily life, do I acknowledge before the Lord, I am dependent on you? and you alone. If I could look at my spiritual condition, what would I look like? Would I be spiritually healthy, or would I be wretched and miserable, like a sick person? Now, real spiritual health and well-being comes from the Lord. The Lord tells us to be strong in Him, and the power of his might, not mine. How's my financial life, spiritually speaking? Am I rich in the things of this world, or am I rich in the ways that God wants me to be rich, rich in good works, rich in fellowship with him? How well-dressed am I spiritually? Am I living in such a way that I'm clothed with righteousness and humility, or am I lacking in having clothing, need to be clothed? Do I need those white garments mentioned in Revelation? If God were to give me an optometry checkup, how would I be doing spiritually? Would I pass the eye exam, or would I be in need of some eye salve through the Word of God and through the Holy Spirit? If God could put a thermometer to my head, what temperature would I be? Would I be cold? Would I be hot? Or would I be lukewarm? 
When's the last time you were excited to look into your Bible to see what God was saying to you on a daily basis? Something to keep in mind, too. You know, people can change spiritual temperature. There's nothing to say that someone will forever remain spiritually lukewarm. People can become spiritually hot. You know, I'll have to confess myself. There are more times than I care to admit that I have been lukewarm in my life. There have been times where I've just been going through the motion of reading my Bible or praying. But if that's the case, it's time for me to be zealous, to be hot, and to repent. And in conclusion, looking at the great reward the Lord promises, when was the last time I had a time of fine dining with the Lord? Would the Lord feel at home and comfortable coming to me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for your salvation. Thank you for the lessons from the seven churches we've been going over for the past couple months, and we do confess to you, Lord, we are dependent on you, and we do pray for having that um, sweet communion with you every day. We do pray this, Lord Jesus, in your name.